0: We continue to study through this letter that that Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. And just as a quick little reminder, Paul has met a few of the people that are going to receive this letter, read it, hear it, but very few of them. And he's writing this letter, and and it just comes out in the the words on the pages, just a, a passionate heart and love for them, but a love for the truth of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel because it's the, it's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The, the, the theme of the letter that he writes is the gospel message. But as we've, as we've mentioned... He's, he's dictating this letter. A man named Tertius is, is actually the one penning it as Paul is writing. And, and I like to, and I'm sure you do too, when you're reading through something, put yourself in the picture. And just to, if we could for a second there again, imagine Paul. He's in Corinth when the letter's being written, maybe pacing back and forth. Because again, a, a passionate man, having difficult times sitting as he's speaking. And Tertius there, writing away as fast as he can to keep up with Paul as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak these words. And he, ta- he talks of God, the gospel of God for salvation, but we've talked to the fact that it's so important that if we're going to bring a message of salvation, people need to know what they're being saved from. It, just as with anything, if you're trying to t- explain something that somebody needs, you need to explain why they need it. And so this, this entire message of the gospel, the good news of God, needs to come to people who have an understanding that they need this good news. So what's the bad news? And from verse 18 of chapter 1, as we've been discussing over the last several weeks up to where we left off last week, verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul goes into great detail why we all need salvation. Because, as he lays out in that first verse, in verse 18 of chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Not some, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. God's revealed his truth to every man, suppressed, pushed away. But then he systematically then, over the next verses that we've covered in chapters, and again, as I've mentioned, imagine Tertius sitting there and, and writing this down, systematically dismantles every human being's defense or, or explanation or possibly thinking that they could somehow on their own merit stand before a holy and righteous God. That we all stand condemned based on his holy, righteous, perfect standard. And I don't know about you, over the past few weeks, maybe you've been thinking, hey, Pastor Brett, could we just kind of speed this up a little bit? Can we get past this, you know, get out of this bad neighborhood? Can we get on to the next part? And I can only imagine as Tertius is writing this thinking, man, Paul, I mean, cut him a break a little bit here, you know? When are we going to get to the, the, when are we going to get back to the good news? But again, it's so important because we can take things for granted so easily. I, just for instance, I would imagine that everyone in the room right now would not say, you know what? A cup of a glass of cold water wouldn't be refreshing. I mean, you know, we'd, we'd all agree with that. But let's just imagine, and I know you're going to have to really, really imagine with me here, that it was really hot out, <laughs> and and you decide you're going to you're going to go to California, you've, yeah, but you're going to take a different route this time, and you're going to take the back roads. Somebody had given you this back road way, and you said, "Well, I'm going to try that this time." So you drive out there, and you realize you are all alone out there as you're driving. And all of a sudden, your car breaks down. And just before your car broke down, you noticed you had 1% battery left on your, on your phone, and it told you there's 100 miles on your GPS till the next civilization. And then your car goes, and your phone goes, and you're all alone. So you think, the only chance I have is to start walking. And it's 115, and you're walking, and you're sweating. You have no water. You have no anything. After a little while, you get to that point of absolute dehydration, the tongues, your tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. And all of a sudden, you hear something behind you, and you turn around, and you see it's a vehicle coming down the road. You're like, oh, I hope that the vehicle will stop. And then as it gets closer, you realize it's not just a car. It's a truck. And then when it gets closer, you realize it's not a truck. It's the Arrowhead water truck. How awesome is that bottle of water then when you realize your absolute desperate need for that bottle of water? And that's what Paul has been doing in these verses leading up till now, explaining everyone's absolute desperate need for good news because the news that it faces every single one of us is horrifically bad. The standard is absolute righteousness, and the wages of sin, anything that falls short of that absolute perfect standard, is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, facing the wrath of God forever, for eternity, in hell. And then we get to verse 21. Two of the most glorious words in all of the Bible, but now. (laughs) As I've said before, that my two favorite words in all the Bible are, but God. I think my, my next ones are right here, but now. Because that conjunction, but, it takes everything that's been set before, and it now what follows is in direct contrast to that. And so we get now to the glorious good news after Paul again, all the, to over and over, the bad news. He said that the works of the law in verse 20, he says, no flesh is justified by the works of the law. And that's the problem with, with all of mankind. The Bible records it for us. The question that everybody says, because everybody knows it. God's made it evident. We've discussed that already. But the, the problem is everybody then goes, what must I do to earn salvation? What must I do? And here's the glorious news on the heels of the bad news in verse 20. There's nothing you can do here in verse 21. And follow along. Let's read through the end of the chapter and then we'll come back through and, and dig into this verse by verse. But verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. But now. Again, this, this amazing, amazing transition. But notice what he says right after that. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The standard doesn't change. It's still the righteousness of God. The standard doesn't change because God can't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is perfectly righteous. He is holy, holy. And his standard in order for us to be with him is that we must be righteous. There is not another alternative. That does not change. Again, it can't change because he can't change. It can't change because of his very nature. One commentator put it this way, and I appreciated his wit and how he said this. He said, under the law, God required righteousness from man. Under grace, he gives righteousness to man. The righteousness of God is that righteousness which God's own righteousness required him to require. (laughs) He can't change the standard. His own righteous character requires that he requires righteousness from us. And again, there's the problem. Because none of us in and of ourselves are righteous in and of ourselves. And he goes on, the righteousness of God, he says, is manifested, is being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Back in chapter 1, verse 17, we mentioned that it said that the righteousness of God is revealed. We see as we put all of these things together, it starts to, starts to come together in clear focus. As a matter of fact, those are what those words kind of mean together. Revealed, that means to, be, to cause something to be fully known that was partially known before. As as the moving looking at the law and the prophets as God revealed it and gave it to the, the Jewish people, and and, and that, that there was this understanding, but it wasn't fully known until Jesus came. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. The righteousness of God now fully known in Jesus. Manifested That again carries with it the idea of making something visible that was hidden, that was perhaps a good illustration would be that you can see a shadow of something, but you can't completely understand what it is without seeing the actual thing that is causing the shadow. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul refers to in Colossians chapter 2 when he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The shadow, all of the things that God laid out in the law, the, 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 the law, the following, the commands, the, the festivals, Passover all of those all pointed to Jesus they were a mere shadow Jesus being the substance of those things being witnessed to by the law and the prophets. This, what he's saying there is that nothing's changed here. The law and the prophets commonly referred to what we would call the Old Testament. All of the writings of God the, from, from Genesis all the way through the, the Psalms and through the prophets, all of those things in its totality always pointed to Jesus. It was, it, was, it was always in that. As a matter of fact, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. God, the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. He didn't choose us in the law, in following the righteous requirements of the law, to stand before him holy and blameless. He chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Guys, what that means is Jesus wasn't plan B. It wasn't like, oh man, they totally blew it. Now what do we do? You got any ideas? Jesus says, yeah, I got an idea. No. That's that's not in at all. Before the foundation of the world, it's always been this way. Now, there are... Truths in this statement, truths in that scripture before the foundation of the world, God's plan that we will never, I believe, never fully understand until we get to heaven and maybe not even then, the depths of those things. But I think sometimes when we try to plumb those depths, we miss the beauty of what's right on the surface.
1: Before the foundation of the world, before God created you, He had this plan in place. That means he made me even though he knew he'd have to save me. He made you even though he knew he would have to give his life to redeem you. And let that
0: truth resonate in your heart that God, before he created anything, chose to place his love on you today. We can get all caught up in these theological arguments and try
1: to impress everybody with our depth of knowledge and miss the beauty of what is right there. He made you knowing he would have to save you. The law, the
0: prophets, the scriptures all point to this. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham's before the law. Preached the gospel to Abraham and through Abraham preaching the gospel to the Gentiles saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Next week in chapter 4, should the Lord Terry, we'll look at Abraham as that's where Paul goes next with this whole thing. But bottom line, guys, what this is saying is it has always pointed to Jesus. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Genesis chapter 3, it already starts pointing to Jesus. It's all about him. He even said so in John chapter five when he's debating with the the Pharisees there and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. The very scriptures testifying about Jesus, all of them pointing to him. And that's what Paul's point is in this. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that's the way it's always been designed. The law was never designed to be that—that that was the source of our
1: salvation. It always was to drive us to the point where we needed, know we needed a savior. And he says in verse
0: twenty-two, "Even the righteousness of God notice again through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction through faith." This this amazing gift comes to us through faith. But notice, we don't earn righteousness by faith. We receive righteousness through faith. It's amazing to me how faith can become an area of pride in our lives. Where we could say, oh man, no wonder
1: God saved me because of my great faith. No, <laughs> again, it's, it's not what we earn, it's how we receive it. We receive righteousness
0: through faith. It, as Christians, none of us should be afraid of death. I don't fear death. I, can't, I quite honestly can't wait to see what's on the other side and, and experience it all. I don't fear death. It's the process I'm not wild about. <laughs> that, I, I, I don't know about you, but I would love to just go to sleep one night and wake up in heaven. That's, that's, that's what I'm praying for. I, one of my biggest fears when it comes to the process is drowning. I, I can swim, but I still, I don't like being in the water. I mean, I just, I, I just, the whole idea of drowning, just, ugh. so and maybe you're there with me, but none of us would look forward to that, but just imagine again. Now, you're, you're, you're feeling good, you get, you're to go to the beach, you start swimming out. And you, you're going, you keep going as far, as, and all of a sudden you say, okay, well, I better turn back. I'm getting a little tired. And you realize you've gotten caught up in a riptide, and all you turn around, and you can hardly see the shore. And so you start trying to swim back and you use every bit of energy that you can and you're not getting any closer. As a matter of fact, you're getting further away. And just before you're about to take your last breath on this side of, the, of where the oxygen is and you're going down, all of a sudden somebody comes up behind you, grabs you, and pull, yanks you out of the water, swims with you, and throws you up into a boat saved by somebody who saw what was going on. Are you going to stand there in the boat and say, wow, wow, I am so glad I trusted you to
1: save me. Boasting in the fact that I trusted the lifeguard, that's why I'm here. Paul says in verse 27, there's no boasting. No boasting at all. Guys, it is it is only through faith that anyone is saved. That is clear. But it is faith alone In Christ alone notice
0: that it's not faith in faith faith never saved anybody faith just in believing there's a lot of people that say that doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it and you believe it with all you got you're gonna be fine that's a lie Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me it's faith in Christ alone
1: Faith is no greater than the object of our faith. And it, it, again, it's almost like Paul can't help but say, okay, notice here, we all fall short. We've all sinned and
0: fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in this boat together. We've all fallen short. But the glory, again, a beautiful thing in this, the faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. That's a glorious thing. There's no distinction. It's available to anyone who would place their faith in Christ Jesus. Going back to our our illustration earlier, you're walking along the road, your tongue's sticking to the roof of your mouth, here comes the Arrowhead water truck, and you're thinking, great! And then all of a sudden, he drives by, and I'm wearing a Denver Broncos shirt, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm an
1: Oakland Raiders fan, and just keeps on going. There's no distinction It's available to everyone. And that's a great thing, again, because we've all fallen short. I talked of
0: this this last week when we, when we looked at this. It's, people think that we try to make this into, it, like, salvation is a long jump contest. And as long as I can jump further than you, I'll be okay. As long as I can jump further than, than most people, I'm going to be all right. And so I work at it and I strive at it and I become the best long jumper that I can. And then we come to the day and we find out it doesn't matter how that I can jump further than you because the distance we have to cover is the width of the Grand Canyon. Because it's God's righteous standard that we need to meet. And that's, that's even pales in comparison to how far we are away from that standard. But that being the case, it doesn't matter that I can jump farther than you. I still fall short of the
1: glory of God. There's no participation trophies. We all fall short. But again, (laughs) Jesus said, I am the way. There is a way. He said it's narrow, but there's a way. But what does it mean to have faith? Again,
0: so many people have this weird idea about faith. Well, I, I believe in Jesus, so I'm okay. You
1: know what James said to that? He says, you know what? The demons believe. Congratulations, you're just like them then. It doesn't, it's not enough even to know that he's the son of God. We
0: saw that when Jesus met the the demon-possessed man full of demons over in the area of the Gadarenes. They came out and they said, what do we have to do with you, Jesus, son
1: of the most high? They knew who he was. But they aren't saved. What does it mean to have faith? Well, again,
0: illustration. I shared this with the VBS kids when we were teaching a VBS class. Charles Blondin, world-famous tightrope walker, he did amazing things in walking on a tightrope, things that still haven't been duplicated to this day. And one time, they, they stretched this tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he walked back and across it just like he always always did, and everybody's cheering. Well, then he puts down the pole that they normally carry, and he gets a wheelbarrow. And he pushes the wheelbarrow across and back. And everybody's cheering, going out of their minds. This is amazing. This is, this is awesome. And he says, do you believe I could do it again? And everybody's, yeah, yeah, of course, we believe you could do it again. Wonderful, do it again. He says, do you really believe that I could do it again? And he said, yes, yes, yes. And he points to a young man in the front. He says, do you believe that I could do it again? And he says,
1: yes, sir, I do. He says, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> That's faith. Faith is putting your entire life in the hands of the one that, you're, that, that you're, you're believing in. It means putting your
0: whole life in the wheelbarrow and letting Jesus push you across. And that illustration is great in many regards because none of us, none of us in that situation, we'd be sitting in the wheelbarrow, none of us halfway across would say, all right, let me try, let's switch. But so many of us want to do that in our Christian walk, right? So, all right, Lord, you've been running this show for a while. Let me take over for a bit. None of us, if you're walking across, he's pushing across, and you're in the wheelbarrow, and you're sitting there, and he said, hey, I need you
1: to lean to the left a little, would you? (laughs) You bet you would. That's what it means, guys.
0: Trusting in Him completely and totally, but it's not just for salvation. It's because He now is Lord of your life. He's the one in charge. That's what it means. And Paul said this amazing, this amazing gift that we're going to get into looking at it even bigger detail here in just a second is available for those who believe. If you don't believe, if you don't get in the wheelbarrow,
1: this doesn't apply to you. But if you do. All of this is ours. He goes on, verse 24 being justified as a gift by
0: his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. This word justified is so important and it's such a glorious word. If we were going to talk about a a word that's synonymous with that, we probably would use the word forgiven. But guys, justified, justified goes way beyond forgiven. It it, it goes to a a totally different level than, than forgiven. It literally means to be declared righteous. And remember, that's the requirement. Being righteous. The wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We have to be absolutely, completely righteous or we will face the wrath of God. So being declared righteous is extremely important. And what does that look like what does it What does it mean to be declared righteous? Well, I heard a story of a man who was extremely wealthy, money, no object, and his favorite car was his his Rolls-Royce, and he was going to go spend the summer in Europe, so he had his car shipped over to Europe so that he could drive around Europe in his Rolls-Royce for the summer. So he gets there, his car's waiting for him, he gets in, and he's driving around, and he's in France somewhere, and all of a sudden, his Rolls-Royce breaks down on the side of the road. And so he calls back to the factory, and he said, explains the situation to them, and they said, sir, do not worry about it. Within 48 hours, we will have everything taken care of. Sure enough, they flew two mechanics from Britain over to France, fixed the car, went to his hotel room, handed him the keys. Everything's fine. He's thinking there's got to be a pretty hefty bill for that. He wasn't really worried about it necessarily because money's not that big a deal to him, but... He was waiting for a bill and waiting and nothing ever came, never got a call, never anything. He gets back home, still nothing. So he goes down to the factory himself. And after talking to a few different people, he ends up talking to the manager and he explains the whole situation. On this day, my car broke down. You sent two mechanics to come in to fix it. They brought me the keys. Da-da-da-da, where's my bill? And he said with him, looked him straight in the eye, he said, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. There is no record
1: of any Rolls Royce ever breaking down. Guys, there is no record, if you are a born-again
0: believer in here today, there is no record of your sin in heaven. No record.
1: It's It's not like the sin just disappeared. No, it went on to Jesus' record. He who knew no
0: sin became our sin, became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His perfect record is what God
1: sees when he opens up ours. That's what justification means. A completely perfect, righteous record in heaven.
0: Jude writes this in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Standing in his glory, in all of his glory, we can't stand there unless we're blameless. We'd be reduced to nothing. We'd be vaporized. We stand there blameless. We stand in his glorious presence, blameless, in joy, great joy. And I love this how Jude almost can't contain himself as it just breaks out into praise. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever.
1: Amen. (laughs) Standing blameless. Again, but before we start saying, well, you know, my
0: record wasn't as bad as theirs, so it didn't need as much, you know, and trying, we always try to somehow get ourselves to feel a little bit better about this whole situation. Paul cuts it off right away again,
1: as a gift, by his grace, guys, we deserve none of it. None of it.
0: As a gift, the word there, Dorian, the Greek word, translated freely, perhaps in your translation. It's interesting when we look at how that word is used other places in Scripture. It kind of brings, brings a focus to it, I think. Jesus uses it in John 15, 25. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Without a cause is that word, Dorian. Guys, there was nothing in Jesus that deserved men's hatred. Nothing in him at all. He was, he was good. He is perfect. Nothing in him that deserved man's hatred. Yet they hated him. There's nothing in us
1: that deserves justification. Yet we are justified. The glorious truth. Through the redemption, a price had to be paid. It
0: couldn't be just turned away. God couldn't just declare us righteous without the price being paid, without, without the sin debt that we owe being taken care of. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And again, not just physical death, but eternal death. Facing the wrath of God forever in hell. That is the penalty. Somebody had to pay it. The wages of sin being death. And it tells us Jesus paid that. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Since we are in our nature, human, flesh and blood, he partook of that flesh and blood nature, becoming man, had to, in order to take our place. That through death... He might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery, note, all their lives. Redemption, paying a price to redeem somebody, to
1: get them out of slavery. We are all slaves to sin and death. Had to be redeemed. He pays that.
0: Again, with his own precious blood, Peter records, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless,
1: the blood of Christ. Peter, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold.
0: So often we think that, that, again, somehow we can earn God's favor We can can offset the bad with the good, trying to earn our way to heaven. So many people that way. Again, what must I do to be saved? Guys, that question in and of itself underscores our ignorance of the cost, what it cost to actually purchase our freedom, what it cost the Father to purchase our freedom.
1: And how we cheapen that by even thinking that we could even add to it. I struggle with, again, an illustration
0: as to how to to drive this home. But imagine, imagine the one closest to you, whether it's your spouse or a child or somebody else, the closest person you have in your life to you, somebody killed that person and then said, you know what, I'm really sorry that happened. How much can I pay you so that everything will be okay? Would you be insulted that they would think that you could, they could somehow buy that? Of course you would. Nothing could replace that. And yet that is how we insult God when we say, yes, I know that, yeah, I sinned, but, and I know that, that you know, Jesus came and died for me, but there's got to be something else I can do.
1: Paul said, if there is something that we could do, Christ died needlessly. The redemption price for us was his own precious blood shed on our behalf.
0: And on Calvary, in a way, again, that we will never understand or experience, praise the Lord, he took the full wrath for us. He took the entire cup of wrath do you and me. It says the redemption in, your, in, in the Bible there, the redemption. The definitive article, the, is in the original language. It's not like it was a multiple, there were options. It wasn't a redemption, it was the redemption. That's what Jesus, when he was praying in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to save
1: Brett, if there's any other way to save them, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, yours will be done. Because there was no other way, he took that cup, the wrath do you and me, and he drank it all. Tells us in verse 25 and 26
0: that God displayed him publicly as a propitiation. That word now, again, we've, we've looked at the, the justification like in a, in a legal sense, we stand there blameless now redemption being bought out of our our slavery to sin and death. Here we see propitiation. That word literally carries with it the idea of satisfying the wrath of God, fully satisfying that wrath that is due us. The only way you and I can satisfy that on our own is to spend eternity in hell. The only other way is is to have someone else satisfy the debt for us, which Jesus did on our behalf. 1 Timothy chapter two, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus,
1: who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The satisfaction, fully, completely satisfying
0: the wrath of God to us. Again, interesting when we look at how this word is used other places. You'll find propitiation in English in your English translations anywhere from two to five times depending on how the translators use that word. But the Greek word here is used only one other time in the New Testament scriptures and that is in Hebrews chapter 9 where it says, Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies. Having a golden altar of incense and an ark of the covenant, Covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the, ta- the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. That word mercy seat is the same Greek word translated propitiation in our text. Mercy seat. He goes on to say, but these things we cannot now, speak in detail, and we don't have time to speak in detail about it this morning, but I think it bears touching on, because it gives us, again, a, a, a picture, a, a picture, a, the, the shadow, if you would, again, that Christ is the substance of, the Ark of the Covenant. It tells us what was in the Ark of the Covenant. The, 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 the tables, the tablets of stone, which contained the Ten Commandments. The law of God, again, as we talked about, that the children of God were entrusted with. I mean, uh, that constant reminder that God entrusted that with them. Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's staff that he had that God miraculously caused to sprout leaves and bud almonds overnight. A miraculous thing, they put that in there. And the golden jar of manna that contained uh, a sample of the manna that God gave to the children of Israel as they were traveling through the wilderness and to sustain them through their time there, God providing for them. Great reminders of how awesome and amazing God is, but also a, a reminder of how desperately wicked we are. Because when they look at those and they know that those tablets of stone in there, the commandments, those aren't the originals. Those are duplicates. Why? Because when Moses was up getting the originals, he was gone just a few days. When he came back down, they had already turned away from God, worshiping the golden calf. Moses (laughs) broke the originals, had to go get another copy. That's what was in. So the reminder didn't take us long to turn away from God's law that he gave us. Aaron's rod that budded. Wow, an amazing thing. But the reminder of why God did that. Korah, man, led a rebellion against against Aaron and against Moses. Who are you? Who are you that thinks that you're in charge? I I think I should be in charge. God said, I tell you what, take Korah's staff, stick it in the tent. Stick Aaron's staff in the tent. Come back tomorrow, you'll see which one I've chosen. Comes back again, Aaron's rod. But again, a symbol of the rebellious heart of the people. And the manna, right? God providing every day the manna for them. And what did they do? Complained about it. It's manna every day. Manna, manna, manna. And again, I, I, it's easy for us to look at that, but i got to look at my own heart and say, God, how easy it is for me, how quickly I turn away, how quickly I want my own way, how, how quickly I can go from a time like this of worshiping you and being all sold out for you that by Tuesday somebody cuts me off in traffic or something else happens, and I turn away. How quickly that can happen.
1: And how quickly I can rebel. And how much I complain, even though you give me everything that I need. Hence the
0: illustration here, again, the, the propitiation, the mercy seat, because as we look at the illustration, God in his presence was there above the ark, and in between him, his presence above the cherubim, and those things in the ark was the mercy seat, the lid that was on top, that once a year this, the high priest would enter on the day of atonement with the blood of the sacrifice and put that blood on the mercy seat, covering the sin. Again pointing to Jesus on the cross where the sin that had been previously passed over, covered over, looking towards the fulfillment. Jesus, when he hung on the
1: cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full. Our substitute, satisfying the wrath, the debt that we owe. The just and the justifier in verse 26. Both just
0: and the justifier, our substitute, judged in our place.
1: The righteous requirements of the law met and kept, but transferred to our account. He's righteous in his judgment of sin while sparing us who deserve the judgment. And there was only, only one way. I got to tell you, I've shared
0: with a couple of people before, and since you're the third service, you can kind of struggle along with me on this. I I mentioned to a couple of the people after, I said, I got to be honest. I don't know how to land this plane. How do we come down from this? How do I now take this and we say, okay, now let's, guys, this is glorious, is it not? If you're here today and you are a born-again believer, There is no record of your sin in heaven. You stand blameless and righteous before a holy
1: and righteous God. And that is all because of love. The love that was displayed that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What could be better than that? You want to know what's better than that? The fact that nothing can separate us from that love. (laughs) Nothing can separate us from that love.
0: Now, does that mean that we can just go out and live however we want? No, we'll get to that
1: in chapter (laughs) 6. But guys, again, why would we want to? We have this glorious truth in us. It should direct and control how we live our lives. It should be evident to
0: the world around us. Man, something is different about you. And we, like Paul, should be. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. (laughs) I can't wait to tell you.
1: If you're here today and you realize that you have never taken that step of faith, you've never gotten in the wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah, you believe in
0: Jesus. Yeah, you've even maybe gone to church your whole life. You may have been an elder in a church before,
1: but you realize you've never trusted in him completely. You have never given your life wholly and fully
0: to Jesus. If you've never done that, you are
1: unrighteous in his sight and face the wrath of God on your own. But now, today, you can make that choice to surrender your life to
0: him. Grab a hold of that lifeline that he's given to you, trusting in faith, receiving the gift of grace. You can do that. I want to I lead you in a prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Also, anybody here who has, has accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, but you realize, I'm not living like I should. And my eyes have even been opened, my heart opened today to the glorious gift that this is, and I haven't treated it like I should.
1: That that is just a confession away from being taken care of, too. Bible says, confess your sin. And he who is righteous will forgive, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Would you stand with me? I know the one thing that we can all do with this amazing truth,
0: as God just enlightens our heart with it again, is to worship him. Guys, worship him. We'll do that in song one more time here, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that to our very lives, as Robin even mentioned earlier. A living sacrifice. Our lives lived out for him.
1: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you again. This,
0: this amazing truth, God, this is so far beyond our
1: Understanding because, God, we are so limited. We have so, (laughs) we are so undeserving of the grace that you extend us. Yet for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You became our substitute. Willingly. Because of love. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, I I ask that you would would just speak to each one of our hearts right now. Lord, fill us with your spirit and as much
0: as we can, Lord, we return that love to you in lives that are,
1: are lived for you. That we would hear your voice, that we would obey what it is that you say that we would
0: shine our light in this dark world around us, Lord, that they would see you radiating from us with this glorious truth. And if you're here today and you have never taken that step of faith, don't put it off. Don't let pride stand in the way here. You come humbly before your creator and you say in your heart, you say, God, I, I know that I am a sinner and I stand condemned before you. I confess that I have tried to somehow buy off and earn what I can never possibly purchase. Jesus, I believe, and I accept right now in, in faith, I believe that you died for me that you paid the full debt for me. You took all of my sin upon yourself, onto your account, and you extend to me your righteousness. So I receive that now. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. Give me that gift of eternal life. I make you Lord of my life now. I thank you that my, my record is clean. Jesus, we thank you so
1: much So we worship you together now.